Father, Father, thank you so much for this day you've provided to us. God, you are good. And we are just, just sitting under your goodness and faithfulness, God. We're so grateful for that. And Lord, we lift up the, the Mexico missions team uh, today to you, Lord, that are interacting with students from 6th to 12th grade that are just wrestling with some various struggles in life. And Lord, we just ask that you would empower them with your spirit to minister well. Give them wisdom where it is required. Allow scripture to be readily available in their heart and mind to share. And God, may the teaching be impactful. May the gospel be preached. And may those who don't know your son as Savior yet be drawn to uh, you through the Spirit. So God, be with us today as we dive into our text today, 1 John chapter 5. Lord, bless our time. Open up our hearts to hear your word, to be grown closer and more into the image of Jesus. And God, may he be glorified today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about this idea of overcoming. What does it look like to overcome? What does it mean to be an overcomer? We're going to spend some time talking about that. We've already been singing songs that speak to us overcoming. And John is really going to dive into this topic of this is what it looks like to overcome the world. Now, when you hear the term overcomer, you probably have a, an idea or a person or a definition of what overcoming looks like. For, for me, it's a guy named Louis Zamperini. When I think of overcoming, Louis Zamperini is a, one of the first people that comes to my mind. He was a World War II vet and was a, a heroic figure, not only in the American uh, World War II as, a, as an American soldier, but also in the faith as well. See, on May 27th, 1943, 11 airmen boarded a plane looking for an aircraft over the Pacific Ocean. Now, as these men were about 850 miles offshore, two of their engines suddenly lost power and they began plummeting into the open waters. Only three of the 11 airmen actually survived the crash, one being Zamperini, the other two being Russell Allen Phillips and Francis McNamara. And for 47 days after the crash, these three men were adrift on the Pacific Ocean in nothing but two rubber rafts. 33 days into the journey, McNamara passed away, but Phillips and Zamperini would survive on the, on the water for another two weeks. In the time that these men were on the water, they endured shark attacks, a storm, thirst, hunger, and they were even used as target practice by nearby Japanese bombers. One of the rafts were lost, but these men were never struck by any of the bullets. They were weak, they were tired, they were sunburned, and they were malnourished. And during that time on, on the open waters, they had drifted nearly 2,000 miles. Then on July 13, 1943, Phillips and Zamperini were finally found by a Japanese Navy ship. Now, before you take a sigh of relief, you need to understand that this is a part of the journey where it gets from bad to worse for these men. Because it's in this time that they're actually taken prisoners of war for the next two years. And, and Zamperini specifically endured the brunt of the brutality. And one historian actually wrote it this way. For the next two years, Zamperini would suffer from disease, exposure, starvation, near daily beatings from the guards. And the Japanese corporal Watashiro Watanabe, nicknamed the bird, took, took particular glee in torturing Zamperini. He pulled him with clubs, with belts, with fists, and regularly threatened to take his life. On one occasion, he actually had Zamperini hold a wooden beam above his head and said, if you drop this, I will shoot you. 
And on another occasion, he had the American prisoners of war in this encampment beat each other up until they were all nearly knocked unconscious. But this is not where the pain would end for Zamperini. See, after the war had ended and the prisoners of war were finally released, for the next three and a half years, almost four years of Zamperini's life, he would suffer from severe PTSD. This led to him abusing alcohol, just trying to find some kind of peace, some kind of relief in his life from all the painful memories. For three and a half years, he suffered with that. But all that changed in 1949 when his wife encouraged him to attend a crusade in Los Angeles under this giant tent to hear some young buck preacher named Billy Graham give the gospel. And so Zamperini, listening to his wife, knowing that he has to make some changes, decides to go to this tent revival. And it was in that moment, that service, hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus, that he gave his life to Christ. Now, not long after he had placed his faith in Jesus, Zamperini found the love in his heart to overcome these monumental barriers in his life and forgive the Japanese captors that had, had beat him and treated him so brutally. And not only did he forgive them in his heart, he actually made a trip to Japan where these war criminals were now being held. He looked them in the eye, shared the gospel with them and said, I forgive you. And as a result of the love that flowed from Zamperini's heart and the gospel message that was proclaimed that day, Many of the war criminals, the prisoners now that had treated him so brutally, have now become brothers in Christ with Zamperini in that moment. Now we're hearing the story, we're thinking, how in the world could a man like this, who has endured such brutality at the hands of other people, overcome this huge barrier? And the answer is his faith. His faith propelled him to that. Once he gave his life to Christ, the spirit now indwelling him, he began to have the heart of an overcomer. See, no amount of willpower that we can ever muster will ever change a person's heart like the Holy Spirit will change one's heart. No amount of white-knuckled force would ever give Zamperini enough strength to, to remove the trauma that had been in his life, to take away what had happened to him, nor would it give him the strength to the, or the ability to look someone in the, in the eye and say, I forgive you. That's solely the work of the Spirit. And it was fueled by his faith in Christ. And this is exactly what our text is about today. This is what John is going to share with the readers today. He's going to walk through this passage. He's going to give the readers of this epistle a playbook on how to overcome. These are a few plays on how one can have an overcomer's mindset. And as we'll see, it's more than just willpower or knowledge or great things we can do. It's all through the power of Christ. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage in John, 1 John chapter 5. Verses 1 to 5. This is what we read. <clears throat> everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who, who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So as we dive into our text, there's a few things that John shares with us. He literally gives us a playbook. These are three plays that John gives us to overcome the world. 
Now, you remember the Greek word for world is cosmos, and it has a variety of meanings. It can mean the world itself or the universe. It can mean worldly desires or passions that lead us into sinfulness or, 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 or kind of indulging in our desires. Or it can mean the people itself. And we can understand from context that John is talking about the evil desires, the evil systems of the world that are always combating our heart. It's a flesh against the spirit leading us, if it can, into sinful situations. And if we are not careful, we do not guard against those temptations, it can lead us down to some bad paths and ultimately consume us. Remember, John is also writing in context of Gnosticism. He's trying to protect the hearts of this church to guard against the false teaching of the Gnostics. So they denied that you could find salvation in Jesus alone because if Jesus is God and our humanity is sinful, no God would inherit a sinful flesh. So they denied the, the, the hypostatic union of Jesus being fully God, fully man uh, at the same time. They denied that. So John is teaching sound theology to protect themselves. But he also desires this church to have a deep, deep love for God. We're going to see this in this text if we have not seen it already. And the first point that John shares with us in overcoming the mind, how, how do we overcome the world? Is have a deep love for God by loving other Christ followers. That's, that's play number one. Have a deep love for God by loving other Christ followers. John starts in verse one by saying, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And see, the way that John phrases this lets us know that it's just not having an understanding of Jesus, not believing that Jesus was just historical, which he was, not believing that he just, he interacted with those on society's fringes, which he did, or he was a great oral communicator. He was all those things, but it's believing that Jesus is the son of God, believing that Jesus is the only way to the father. If we desire to have a relationship with God, we have to believe in Christ as savior and Lord of our life. And anyone who believes in Christ is born of God. So John's talking about the doctrine of regeneration. It's an act completely initiated by God in which the Holy Spirit grants life to someone who is spiritually dead. It's spiritual life being raised from spiritual death. And it is through Christ alone that we have the ability to experience new life in our hearts. Another thing that we see John interacting with is that once one has been regenerated and is a part of the family of God, then it should be love that marks us as the people of God. John puts it this way, anyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's a, that is a powerful statement. It sees John is giving a very black and white command to have a deep love, not only for God, which we should have, but also for brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. John doesn't give a, a backdoor option here. There's, there's no other option. You love God, we're going to love God's people. That's essentially what John is saying. Anyone who's following Christ, we're going we're to love them. Now let's just pause here for a second and just let that verse really sink in. Just let it sink in for a second. How have we been holding up to obeying this command in Scripture? Have we had a deep love for other Christ followers? You know, as we spend time meditating on this passage, you kind of sense the weight that it carries. You know, there's, a, there's a heaviness that comes with this because we know if we're honest with ourselves, this is a tough one to obey at times because we don't get along with everyone. Sometimes we want to replace love with other things. And if we're completely honest, maybe we're even thinking about the other Christ follower right now that we just don't love as we should. And if we're using the analogy that John is using, we're 
loving the parent, but not the child. So instead of love, maybe there's slander or gossip. Instead of love, maybe it's hate or anger or bitterness. Imagine if we can use this illustration. This is totally hypothetical. But imagine someone invites you to their home. A family is like, hey, we really want to invest in your family. We want to get to know you better. Would you please come over to our house for a night of games and dinner? And just, we just want to spend some time with you. And so you're excited because you want to get to know this family a little bit better. You've kind of connected with the, the mom and the dad. And you're like, I'm ready. Let's, let's do this. So you circle it on the calendar and you're anticipating the day. Well, after a few weeks go by, the date finally rolls around on the calendar and the day is here, you're, you're there. And the food is amazing. The games are a blast to play. The host and the hostess are a delight. Mom and dad, you're just clicking on all cylinders, except for one thing, you can't stand the kids, right? <laughs> like it's just, they're, they're messy and they're disrespectful. They're a bit self-centered. They talk back to their mom and dad. It's just kind of rubbing you the wrong way. And so you walk away feeling a little bit dissatisfied. And you think there's no way I can spend time with them. There's no way I can love them. You know, this is kind of what happens when love is absent from our heart towards other Christ followers. And just as it would affect your experience with another family, this lack of love towards other Christ followers, it kind of leaves a bitter taste in our mouth. Because we look at all the imperfections of someone else and it kind of fuels this, this instead of love, some kind of angst or hatred in our heart. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. We're all a bit messy. We're all a bit disrespectful. We're all a bit self-centered on our own. So we have to guard against that. We have to create and cultivate love in our heart through the power of the Spirit. Because John says, listen, hey, we're going to love God. We got to love his people. Not that we need uniformity, but we have to have unity with one another. We have to guard against that. So if you want to be an overcomer, let's have a deep love for God and have a deep love for his church. In the next few verses, John gives us the next play. How, how do we overcome the world? We have a deep love for God by obeying his commands and enduring trials. Obeying his commands and enduring trials. This is what verses 2 and 3 say. By this we know that, the, that we love the children of God when we love and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So here John is saying not only is our love for God reflected in how we love other Christ followers, but in how we are obeying his commands. We actually see the call to obey twice in these two verses. In verse 2, John says, obey. And in verse 3, John says to keep. In the Greek, it's the same word. It's, it's poieo, and it means to make or to do. That's essentially what John says. And, and, I, and I love it because it's very simple. And I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person, so I understand this. It's almost like John is saying, church, listen, do what God says. That's essentially what John is saying. And it kind of speaks to the father heart of John. See, in the letter, he's described them and, and defined them as dear children or my little children. And now he's kind of exhorting them as a father would. Children, do what God says. And in addition to giving this encouragement to listen to what God is saying and do what God is saying, John then empties the barrel on any excuses that they may come up with to neglect doing what God says. He says, obey God's commandments. And then what did he say? His commandments are not burdensome. He's like, no excuses, essentially, is what he's saying. You have the power of the Spirit. You have the Word of Scripture. Do what God says. What's John saying here? He's saying that God's commands are not oppressive or heavy. 
They're not designed to squelch us. They're not designed to, to take the joy out of life. That's not what God's commands are designed to do. God's commands and his commandments that we are to obey are designed to facilitate growth in our life that we may look more like Jesus. How can we enjoy God more fully is by staying in the parameters in which he's designed for us to stay in. That's what John is saying. Do what God says. They're not heavy. They're not burdensome. I really love how one commentator wrote on this passage. He says, love prompted obedience is not a crushing burden that exhausts the believer's strength and destroys his sense of freedom in Christ. That's not what they're designed to do. That does not mean God's commandments are not challenging at times because they can be challenging at times. But we know that when a burden is given to us by Christ, these challenges are in our lives. We know it's to grow us more into his own image. And so sometimes these commandments can feel challenging, but it's growing, it's growing us. But it also gives us burdens in our life, trials in our life to facilitate growth as well to put us in, in, a, in a place where we're beholding God as glory and our only hope. And we rely on it because we know that this is not oppressive. This is not heavy. This is designed to help in my growth and my benefit. You know, it reminds me of a book that I read about a Navy SEAL officer. His name was Admiral William H. McRaven. And in his book, he describes his, his time as a Navy SEAL trainee, trying to, to overcome the, the obstacles that were in front of him and also become an officer in the Navy SEALs. And one of the tasks that he has to accomplish in order to, to be a SEAL is he has to accomplish a five-mile swim in the open ocean. Now, there are many training events that lead up to this, this big five-mile event. And so all the calisthenics, all the training, all the lifting that they do is designed to help them with this. But you know, in this first swim with his swim buddy, uh, they actually failed. They set a pretty good pace. They were, they were marking the territory well. But as they began to swim, their pace slowed and slowed and slowed. And so they're actually one of the last two to finish in the course. As officers, that was a very big deal. And it did not sit well with the superior. And so the superior looked them in the eyes and directly said, officers do not finish last. And so you may not know, but, but when a Navy SEAL fails to complete a task, they're entered into what is called the circus. Now, the circus is an additional two hours of training, exercise, calisthenics every single day. Now, imagine going through this training and then adding a two hours every single day. You have to imagine by the time you wake up the next morning, you don't have the strength to hardly get out of bed. And that's exactly how he defined it. So he said, I didn't have the energy to make it through the next day's training, which led to more failure, which led to another circus, which led to more failure, which led to another circus. So for weeks, he had to go through this circus. And then it came time to do the five-mile swim again. So him and his swim buddy, they got together. They had a little extra motivation. They had a little extra training, and they hit the open waters. And not only did these guys finish first, they were about an hour ahead of the rest of the unit. They were nowhere in sight. And so the supervisor looked at them in the eyes, smiled, nodded, and walked away. What was the point of the circus? See, the circus was a burden placed on them by their superior to train them, to develop and build muscles that they didn't even know they had. So when it came time to actually accomplish the mission, they were prepared. They had the muscles. They had been developed. They were ready to take on that challenge. In the middle of the pain, growth was happening. Victory was on the horizon. And I feel like this very much parallels the Christian's life. See, burdens are a natural part of our life. You're not going to, to leave this world. have experienced some kind of burden in your life. But we have the reassurance 
that the burdens of Jesus are light. And the purpose of our circuses in our own life is to glorify the Father and develop our hearts. I really love what Jesus said in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus never promised a burden-free life. But he did say, my burdens are not oppressive. The commandments that I give you to operate and to, to live a life that most glorifies the Father is not designed to oppress you, but to give you further freedom in me, further joy in me, deepen your love in me. So maybe you're going through your own circus right now, or you feel like, I just can't overcome this hurdle in my life. It just is too restrictive. Know that God has set these parameters in your heart. He's given you the circus to develop Christ-like character in your heart so you might glorify the Father more fully. That's the point of our burdens. That's the point of the commandments. That's the point of, of all of this. Each trial we go through produces that character, and John reassures us of that. Again, what allows us to overcome it? It's our faith. It's our faith. Our faith gives us the necessary endurance to obey our God and endure those trials. And so as we love other believers and as we do and obey, we experience victory in our life. How do we overcome the world? Have a deep love for God by obeying his commandments and enduring trials. That's play number two. And what's play number three? Well, we've been talking about it already. Play number three is this, have a deep love for God and overcome the world. Have a deep love for God and overcome the world. This is what John says to us in verses four and five. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Once again, John is interacting with the doctrine of regeneration. Everyone who's been born of God, this is what John says over and over. Actually, eight times in this epistle, he talks and mentions of, of the doctrine of regeneration. So if John is going to mention this doctrine, being born again so many times, why in the world would he do this? Well, I think the answer is because without the doctrine of regeneration, there's absolutely no hope. Without the new birth, we are still dead in our sins, apart from the Father in a dark future lying ahead of us. See, in his gospel, John actually writes about an interaction that Jesus had named, with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is, is kind of wrestling with this idea of the new birth. What does it mean to be born again? And how can I see the kingdom of God? How can I have eternal life? And because of his platform in society, he decides to meet Jesus at nighttime. Because if it's night, he's kind of under the cover of dark. So he has this interaction with Jesus at night. And Jesus says, hey, this is what you need to do to have eternal life. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to experience eternal life, the new birth is, is paramount. And this is why the doctrine of regeneration is so critical. Because if one is not born of the Spirit, there's no hope for our eternal state. And this is what John is saying in these two verses. Those who are born of God, those are the ones who overcome the world. What allows us to overcome is our faith. Who overcomes? The faithful. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. Those who have trusted in him for salvation have made him Lord of their life. See, the Greek word for, uh, for overcome is nikeo. And it means victory or conquer. And as we think about the readers of this letter, this means that their deep love for God, their faith in Christ, 
was going to give them faith and perseverance to overcome the Gnostics who are teaching a system of beliefs that are contrary to Scripture. Listen, church, I know you're hearing things that are false, but through the power of Christ, you can overcome this. Listen, church, I know you're hearing that Jesus is not the way to the Father, but I'm encouraging you that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Only those who have trusted in him can overcome. Overcome. He's giving them faith. And when they plunge themselves into the depths of Christ and they're walking and growing in him, it gives them the power, the power to find and overcome this false teaching. Not only were they experiencing victory in the future, that's not what John is saying. Hang on for a little while and then you're going to experience victory. Or you know what, this was times past, focus on the good old days. This is what's going to get you through. No, John is saying you've experienced victory right here and right now. He's he's writing this in the present tense, meaning that because of Christ, you have victory right now in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ. You're currently experiencing victory over the world. Because in Christ, the battle's been won. Only believe. In Christ, you can overcome the power of this false teaching. Just believe in Christ. Be rooted in Jesus. They had the, the power to overcome because of what Jesus already done. And they're experiencing it right now. And even more, this applies to all of us in the room as well. It's not just to the readers of this letter. It's to us as well. That we have placed our trust in Christ. We experience victory over the world. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have temptation in our life. But through Christ, we can overcome. Everything that we need to overcome the power of this world is in Christ He provided ultimate victory for us through his death and resurrection. And in our faith in him alone, it allows us to be an overcomer. It's not by what we do. It's not by how hard we're trying or how how we're kind of gritting our way through. No, it's in Christ alone because if, if we are in him, he's already won, we also win. This concept reminds me of a man named Mike Tomjak. See, Mike Tomczak was an NFL quarterback from 1985 to 1999. He went undrafted out of the University of Ohio State, and his pro career was anything but successful. It was, it was kind of a disaster, really. His, his overall quarterback rating for his career was 68.9. That is, that is really, really low. He played in 185 games in those 14 years, started in 73, He threw 88 touchdowns and 106 interceptions. Who wants to build a franchise with this guy? Probably not many people. But you know what? His his stats are underwhelming to say the least. But he has something that not a lot of NFL players have. He has a Super Bowl ring. He is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Now, you may not know this, but Mike Tomczak was actually the backup quarterback for your 1986 Super Bowl champion Chicago Bears. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room? Yeah, I got one. Now listen, he also played for the Packers. I guess I'll throw that in there too. He was a backup for the Packers at one point. But you know what? He had the Super Bowl ring. He literally had no impact on the game whatsoever. Not one. See, that was a route of a game. The Bears beat the Patriots 46 to 10. By the time Tom Jack even saw the field, the game was over. It was all over but the crying for the Patriots. It was, it was done. But he still got a Super Bowl ring. He was still a part of the team. All of the rewards, zero impact. And this is also what it's like when we're in Christ. We literally have no in, uh, outcome, uh, impact on the outcome, meaning our eternal state. That's completely taken care of by Christ. Christ paves the way. We believe in the work of Christ. We receive all the rewards. 
And because of our faith in Christ, we have the strength not only to fight battles, not only to engage battles, but overcome our battles. Fight through it, wrestle through it because of the power of Christ. Finding victory right here, right now, because of our faith in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us to look more like him each and every day. It's because of our faith in Christ. Not only that, we have a promise to spend with him in eternity forever in heaven. Because of our faith in Christ, we can overcome. Have a deep love for God. Overcome the world. Have faith in Christ. Overcome the world. Now, as we begin to land the plane here, I just want to offer a few points of application to kind of seal this up. How do we do this? How do we have a deep love for God? How can I put this into practice? Well, I think it's three very simple principles. Very, very simple. First one is this. Immerse yourself in God's word daily. If we desire to cultivate faith, if we desire to cultivate a deep love for God, we have to know what God says about us. We have to know what God says about himself, what he say about the world around us, and how we, how we can obey that with integrity and with joy. We got to be in God's word every single day. Learn about the, the nature and character of God. Who is it that we serve? Who is it that we're supposed to grow into? If we desire a deep faith and a deep love for God, let's just dive headfirst into scripture. And that leads us to the second one. Not only are we going to be in God's word, let's pray that God will fill us with faith every single day. God, fuel faith in my heart constantly and consistently. God, fill me with your spirit. We got to be people of prayer. We want to be people of the word. We want to be people of prayer. I love what Psalm 145 verses 18 and 19 say. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. I love that we have a near God. When we call out to him, the psalmist says, he is near. If we desire to cultivate faith in our heart, if we desire a deeper love for God, a deeper love for his people, to have a deeper obedience in our heart, we have to be people of prayer. Let's be diving into prayer. God, please bless this in my life. Now give me a faith that I don't have right now. Keep working in my heart. Allow your word to come alive in my heart. Let's be people of prayer. And third is this. Let's cultivate a deep faith community in our life. People of, people of faith, other Christ followers who can speak into us. You know, one of the things that will prevent us from having an overcomer's heart is not cultivating that heart regularly. It's like a garden. You know, if you plant a garden, it seems to be doing well. What happens just a few weeks after you see the little buds coming up, the weeds are going to come in. We have to cultivate that. We have to get those weeds out of there. And sometimes the people that we bring into our life are great at getting the weeds out of our life, speaking truth into our life, speaking honesty into our life. We need people that can just share life with us. Because if we're going to go this alone, it's going to be a hard, hard struggle. So bring some people in your life who can speak encouragement to you, share God's word, pray together, and live life together. Let's cultivate a deep faith community, a gospel community in our life. So friends, we're overcomers because Jesus is an overcomer. And we place our faith in him and our union with him, it allows us to be an overcomer as well. So have a deep love for God. Love other people. Have a deep love for God. Let's obey his commandments and endure trials. Have a deep love for God. Overcome the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful, Lord, for the passage that we read today that gives us encouragement that we have overcome, not because of anything we've done, but God, we have believed in the work of Christ alone. God, thank you that Jesus did take on flesh. He lived among us. He was sinless and died on a cross 
and rose again on the third day. Thank you, Lord. We believe in that message. We believe in that finished work, God. We are born of God. We are fully alive in the Spirit. So I got to pray that this is just a, a time of encouragement. I mean, a time of challenge where we think, man, I, I want to be more in the Word. I want to be a person of prayer. I want to bring people, uh, God, Christ followers, into my life to help me, God. I pray that this is a, a challenge for some of us. And God, I pray that ultimately you receive glory. God, if someone is going through a circus in their life, God, we just give them encouragement. Give them peace. Surround them with your spirit. Place your hand upon them. And God, surround them with your comfort. God, we're grateful that through Christ we are overcomers. In his name we pray. Amen.